So let's just give it up for Josh. All right. <clears throat> What's up, guys? <laughs> Is my mic okay? Yeah. Yeah, sorry, it took some time. We just bought a new mic, so we're like learning how to use it. Uh, that's my beautiful wife up there. She's being blocked by the piece of wood. <laughs> She's at the back. Uh, her name is Remy. This is her first time in America, so this is her first time in Texas. Because uh, she was born and raised in Kuwait her entire life. And so um, she's just been really excited to come here. And um, it's been awesome to meet Juan. We just met like two hours ago. And uh, just to hear a little bit of his background. Um, and I was asking Juan, what could I share? Because I'm sure some of you guys have seen, maybe some of you have seen some of our videos. That's not something that you're going to hear in the church, in the institutional church. And so we've had times where people would get up and they would walk out and they would be really offended. And, um, and I'm not here to try to offend people, okay? But will people get offended? I don't know. <laughs> but sometimes we tend to get offended because you're hearing something for the first time that makes you a little bit uncomfortable, right? But for me to just know that people, it's, it's hard for people to hear this stuff. And I don't know if you guys saw my recent video that I just put out just this past week. Um, I think that was one of my most, a lot of people were telling me once you put that up, you're going to lose a lot of friends. And I have. Um, even when I came here to America, unfortunately, it's like part of the reason why I came to America is because I missed my friends who were in ministry, whatever that means, okay? And a lot of them are, are preaching, and uh, when I got here, they want nothing to do with me like zero. No calls, no nothing, you know. And I started to see that that's theology that could really drive us, right? Like, I love my friends. I love them. But when you start believing in an exclusive God, meaning that you believe in a God that always creates these dividers, we're saved, you're not. We're more spiritual, you're a backslider. <laughs> you know, things like that. We're serious, you're not. You're immature. When you start thinking that God is very exclusive or He likes to create these divisions, then you'll start doing that too. And I don't know if Jesus was that type of person. If, if Jesus was the one revealing the heart of the Father, then I think some people need to start to rethink some of their views about God because whatever you believe about love, you believe about God. Right? And whatever you believe about God, you will ultimately live that out in your life unless you're going to be inconsistent with what you claim to believe. Right? So what I'm going to do today is that I'm going to do my best to not pull any punches because you said it's okay, <laughs> right? But I really want you to... <laughs> it's the devil! <laughs> um, is my mic okay? Test, test, mic check, one, two. Yo, 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 El Paso, okay. <laughs> um, one of the things that I, I, I tend to mention in, in some of the gatherings, because my heart is really to pursue the truth. Now, some of you have lost friends, okay? One told me, okay? So I'm just going to talk to you as a friend, okay? I'm not trying to talk to you like I'm some pastor or whatever. I'm just talking to you as your brother. You might lose some friends even more, okay? As you go along this journey where your heart is to pursue truth because you're starting to see something or you're willing to acknowledge something that other people are not willing to acknowledge. And what I've noticed on my journey 
of coming to know God, of coming to understand what Christianity is, whatever that means, is that I started to be honest with myself because it's so easy to just jump on the bandwagon and be like, I believe what this church believes or this denomination or this new organization or this method, discipleship, blah, 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 blah. And the problem with a lot of Christians today, folks, is that they're not paying attention to what's going on in their heart, right? They're not listening. So sometimes you'll hear something, but deep down inside you're like, I don't know about that. But you'll just submit to it because you think that you're not spiritual enough. And I'm telling you that every single person in this room, I don't care who you are, you have the Holy Spirit that could speak to you in your heart. Maybe even not the Holy Spirit speaking more to you in a sense, but maybe you're even hearing Him clearer than a lot of ministers, folks. So my heart, folks, is not to create division. It's not to say, hey guys, leave your churches and be against your pastors or to go back to your churches and and challenge your pastors. I'm I'm not here for you guys to do that. All I'm asking you guys to do is just learn to be honest with yourself. And if you don't like the stuff that I share, throw it out. Screw it. Right? Because you have to figure out what will work better in your life. And so when I came out with a a, a recent video lately that was kind of controversial for a lot of people, I was telling them that I was willing to challenge this sacred cow in the church's idea, right, that a lot of people want to hold on to. And I was telling them the reason why I was letting go of certain ideas that I've been taught growing up is because I feel more liberated now. That's the thing. And, And that's the hard part is like, Folks, I'm telling you right now, you are free. I'm not here to set you free with a message. You are free. But religion will always tell you that you're not free, yet you have to do such and such and such. You have to do this in order to get closer to God. Right? And I'm telling you, folks, we got it all backwards, where where the church nowadays is so focused on you trying to serve, 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 without without realizing first that Christ served you. Now, how awkward does that sound? Christ served you? Yeah, because that's what love does. <laughs> love serves. And Christ served you with his life. And the only responsibility that I'm looking for in people is not the sense of, you better do this because you're a Christian, but you just break down that word. There's this response that you have. Because you finally get it now. That God loves you unconditionally. Then from that understanding, you respond and it gives you the ability to respond back to God. So I'm not even telling you folks, when you get out here, I want you to love God with all of your heart. I'm telling you, God loves you with all of his heart. And once you could finally get that in your mind and settle it in your heart, settle it. He loves you unconditionally. Even if you do a bunch of stupid crap, (gasps) that means unconditionally. Now, am I encouraging you to do stupid things? No, because that's gonna hurt you. But that's the point of what unconditional love means, folks, is that no matter what, God's arms are always open. That's how you know how far grace can extend to you. But the reason why God doesn't want us to do certain things is because it'll hurt you, it'll hurt other people, it'll destroy relationships, folks. But but what I've seen in Christianity is that it's not a relationship like we like to say. We're always telling people it's not a religion, it's a relationship. But if you look at your language, Right, where it's all about service and service and service. That's not romance at all. I'm telling you, if it's a real romance, I wouldn't be focused telling you to focus on, you have to believe this doctrine in order to be a good Christian. If it's a real romance, folks, it's about telling you how much God loves you. That's it. And from that, folks, knowing that He loves you, 
no matter where you're at, He's there. Not condemning you, but He's there to help you saying, okay, you want to live life on your own? You can do it. But I'm offering you a better life. Not a better life of rules and just reading your Bible more, but a life to the fullest of knowing and experiencing that joy that we're all looking for, folks. And if any of you guys know my background, okay, I did go to Bible school. You know, so I've had people tell me, Josh, we lost respect for you. You know, it's like you don't know your Bible. And some guy was challenging me earlier today while I was at the airport. I was reading my emails, and it was just some of the nastiest things. And I'm like, you know what, guys? The, the meanest people in my life are Christians. Yeah. I'm not saying Christians are like that, all of them, right? But you guys get my point. When I share the good news to a non-Christian, oh man, they love it. <laughs> but when I share the good news to a Christian, they hate it. They'll say, you're a false teacher. I got a super long message, looked like an essay. You know, someone sent me a long message yesterday, warning me. And then they sent me another long one, like, wow, do they have better things to do? But of course, in their mind, I could somewhat understand because they're trying to warn people of false doctrine. But folks, God is a lot nicer than you think. God is a lot nicer than you think. And what I've noticed many times is that when we do attend a lot of ministries or churches, the church starts to think for you. So when you hear something that will challenge your theology, you might get a little bit uncomfortable. You know why? Because maybe your leaders might have thought for you and you really didn't believe it. Right? So if I start challenging some of you, how do you know Jesus Christ is God? How do you know the Bible is true? You're going to get like, what? How could you say that? <laughs> See, I'm not making any judgments. Now I'm just saying, what if, and I'm throwing a question at you, if we get a little bit uncomfortable, that shows that you don't really believe. That just shows that you've been told what to believe. Right? So don't worry, folks. I'm not here to scare you. <laughs> I'm not here to confuse you. I'm here to challenge you to know that hopefully the stuff that I share you'll see God in a bigger way. Not that God's ever changing, folks, but you'll see Him in a better way. And the reason why I'm willing to be criticized and to have my name put in the mud or to even lose my friends, unfortunately, which I don't want to lose them, right? But I can't deny the love that I'm experiencing more. And I wish my friends were there. I really wish. But that, that, I guess that's the sad part. I really wonder sometimes, were you my friend only because of doctrine? Because we believed in the same theology? Were we friends only because we're in ministry together, but then once I bounce, you don't even call me anymore? Is that how it is? So I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but it breaks my heart because even if my friends were false teachers, I would still love them and say, let's chill, man. You know what I'm saying? There's more to life than just debating about theology. <laughs> Because God looks beyond what you believe and He looks at you. He looks at your heart. And He says, I care about your heart. No one has their theology all figured out. Not even me. But all I know is that when I put out all these things that might be controversial for some people, I get a bunch of hate mails of people telling me you're going to hell and you're dragging everyone with you. Then all of a sudden I get this other email saying, Josh, this is the best message I've ever heard about God's love. You know, like, who do you want to please? I'd rather preach from my heart and see what will help liberate our minds. And I'm telling you folks, God loves you so much. All the crap that you've done, it's in the past. 
even the stuff that you're planning, you, you might even think of doing later tonight or tomorrow or whatever that you might think is probably not the best for you to do, I'm telling you, God still loves you the same. He still loves you the same. But there might be consequences, but He still loves you the same. <laughs> right, folks? And so I'm just going to share a little bit of my journey. Okay, we're good with time. One, okay. One's a b-boy. I was looking at his pictures today for the first time. I was like, dude, I can't even do those moves <laughs> back in the day when I was skinnier. <laughs> right? Change of topic, sorry. <laughs> but folks, I, I served in the ministry since I was 17 years old. Maybe some of you have been involved in ministry. Maybe some of you are still in ministry now. There's nothing wrong with that. And what happened is that I jumped from one denomination to another because I just kept switching my theologies, right? So I grew up in a word of faith. Uh, Assemblies of God, are you guys familiar with that? Assemblies of God denomination, we were very Pentecostal. From there, I moved to a, a Korean church in LA. I was teaching something called apologetics, which is how to defend your faith, right? Now I don't even know what to defend anymore. <laughs> right? I don't even know what to believe sometimes. I don't want to defend those things anymore. Uh, so I was in K-Town for a while, Koreatown. And then I went to a Southern Baptist church because I got very conservative in my theology. You guys familiar with my history of healing? Okay. And then I got into healing while I was at this Baptist church. <laughs> okay. And it didn't go well right, with the leaders there. So eventually I left out of respect because I'm not here to change a church. Right? I encourage you guys, don't try to be undercover. Okay? Don't try to be undercover and try to subvert. The, you know, your, just, just respect them where they're at. Everyone's on a different journey. Right? So I left that church. I went to uh, this, this big church in uh, Pomona and uh, served there as an evangelist. And then all of a sudden, in, I sensed it in my heart, go to the Philippines. Ooh, my Filipino <laughs> family. <laughs> I went there for four years. And I had a huge shift. A huge shift. And I started to understand that, that the gospel that I was taught my whole life just didn't seem to work there. Or it's not even that practical. Let me give you an example. The gospel that we've been taught is this gospel of that you have to do something. You have to acknowledge, you have to confess, you have to repent, and you have to believe. You guys familiar with that? Yeah? Now imagine I go up to some poor kid. Uh, uh, you guys been to the Philippines? You've been there before? You know Smoky Mountain? Okay. Well, there's this, there's this Smoky Mountain there. It's, it's all trash. That's where the kids live. Okay, it's like as high as, it's higher than that, where my wife's standing. These kids live in the dumps. You could try to do your, you know, four spiritual laws, and th these are the steps on how to get to God, right? Do you think they really care at that moment? No. What do they care about? Love. Food, love. Some of them, their siblings are taking care of them because their parents are gone. Imagine I go up to one of those kids and I tell them, you don't belong to God until you acknowledge and then you confess and then you repent and then you believe. <laughs> Imagine if you go up to a kid like that or a drug addict that lost all of his friends and I say, you know, I know you want to get your life better but God's not going to come into your heart until you acknowledge, confess, repent and you believe. And now God's going to come inside. Wow. So I guess all that time God was never there, right? Or Here's a huge shift that happened to me in my life. I'm not against acknowledging, confessing, and repenting, and believing, but are those things the requirements in order for you to be loved and to be accepted by God and to belong to Him? Or are those simply responses? 
knowing that because of His unconditional love, you're already accepted and loved and included in His Son. Right? So when I ask people, just to mess with them a little bit, I'll say, when did you get saved? And they'll give me a specific date. So I say, oh, so you were saved when you were 17, so God was never there before that? <laughs> How do you even think you got to that point of asking God into your heart? As if God is outside of you? He's out there? Didn't you have to come to that point where you felt this love in your heart and then you say, Jesus, come into my heart? Or did you do that superficially? Right? Folks, God was always there. The problem is that people's eyes are closed to the lies of religion. And that's what religion has done, folks. I'm using religion in a negative connotation, okay? I know there could be positive religion. I'm taking care of orphans, okay, in the Bible. But in a negative sense, folks, people have been using fear to control you. They're using fear. Many religious institutions, families, friends, they use fear to control Right? Let me ask you guys a simple question that might be kind of uncomfortable. If there's no hell, would you still believe in God? Would you still do good? If there's no hell, I'm not saying that there isn't. I'm just trying to find what is our motivation. Just recently, where he was caught up in legalism his whole life, very legalistic culture. He heard this message that, that God doesn't, won't judge him and won't condemn him. So he started falling into a lot of things that he never thought he would fall into, a lot of sins. And the reason why he fell into that is because he realized his whole life he was driven by fear. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do that because it's bad. God's going to ju judge me. Or sometimes like me, back in the day, you know, say I used to do stupid stuff. I used to be afraid when I drive home I'm going to get in a car accident. Honestly, I thought God's going to judge me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And a lot of people, they still live like that. They live in fear where fear is a main thing driving you. Even in the simplest ways. Why do you read your Bible in the morning? Oh, because if I don't read my Bible, God won't bless me. Really? Really? God won't bless you? Now all of a sudden, your mom and dad, they'll cook you breakfast and they don't even know if, whether or not they read your, your, your Bible or not, but they still bless you because they just love you? So it's like your parents love you more than God does? And what we've done is that we, we, we've, we've understood the idea of love as though we love better than God does. Imagine I go up to an orphan and I go up to this kid, I'm like, hey, you're an orphan. You have no mom, you have no dad. Nobody wants you. I don't even want you. How do you think that's going to make the orphan feel, good or bad? Bad. It's obvious. Do you need a Bible verse to tell you that that's not good? Do you need a Bible verse to tell you that that's not love? Or do you just know it? You just know it. You just know it. It's common sense, right? Now imagine I go up to another kid, another street kid. I'm like, you know what? You're an orphan, but you know what? You won't belong to me unless you do something for me. Or before I accept you, you have to accept me first. And then I'll accept you. If you reject me, I'm going to reject you for the rest of your life. I'm going to be very angry with you. So in other words you won't belong to anybody until you do something. Therefore, that love becomes conditional. It's like God's a gangster, you know what I'm saying? You, won't, you don't belong until you do something, you know? Or in the Philippines, you get hazed. You, know, you get slaps on the legs, you know? That's, it's weird. That's just the way they do it, right? So it's crazy, right? Now imagine that the interesting thing is that's the way many people describe God. I love you, 
so much. But if you don't love me back, I will supernaturally sustain you for hundreds, no, thousands, no, billions, no, forever, years, and eternal conscious torment. It's like this. God loves you so much, but in case you don't like him back, there's a hell waiting for you. (laughs) Folks, that's the message that we're sharing. Whether you put it in those words or not, that's what people hear. That's what they hear. That might not be your intention, the way you share, but that's what people hear. So God says, okay, I won't accept you until you accept me into your heart as your personal Lord and Savior. And then I accept you. You guys heard that term? You have to accept them to your heart as your personal Lord and Savior first. But if you reject me, I will reject you forever. Yada, yada, yada. So all those things are therefore conditional. Folks, is that love? If that is common sense, folks, that we can get it, that if I could see a kid on the street and know that that's not the way to love a child, but but to just accept them right away, no matter what they've done, in spite of what they've done, to know that that's love, but yet God can do that. What does that say about God? Now, people say, Josh, you're just trying to create God in your own image. No, that's called love, folks. If we know what love is, we should know how God loves them. But if God's love is so different from ours, then how would we know what love is? Because doesn't the Bible say that God is love? And that we will love others the way God loves us? But if God's love is conditional, then your love should be conditional too. You shouldn't worry about loving your enemies. There's no such thing. You should only love your enemies when they become your friends first. And then you love them. Then Jesus' words mean nothing. Like I said, whatever you believe about love, you believe about God. God's love, we're not saying that our, God, our love is greater, right? God's love is big. God's love is so big. You don't have to do anything to get Him inside of your heart. You don't have to try to read your Bible to try to draw closer to Him. He's already there. You don't have to try to draw closer to Him because the Bible says you've already been seated in heavenly places. How close do you want to get? But the church will tell you. The church, I'm just talking about like in general religion. The church will tell you you have to do all these things and then you will draw closer to God. It's all lies. It's all lies. One of my favorite quotes goes like this. I laugh when I hear that the fish in the water is thirsty. Say that again. I laugh when I hear that the fish in the water is thirsty. Now, I don't know about you guys in your background, okay? But I know in my background, we're always crying out for God to come. Now, God, pour out, pour out, pour out, pour out your spirit. Like he's out there, right? We see God on our faces, right? So God will pour out. I laugh when I hear that the fish in the water is thirsty. Folks, God is a lot closer to you than you think. Folks, we do not need a greater outpouring of the Holy Spirit like many revivalists are trying to get us to do where you're doing all these works to pull God's arm like God's a jerk. We do not need a greater outpouring of the Holy Spirit. What we need is a greater awakening and a revelation of who you are in Christ and of who God is and who you are in relation to God. That right now, at this very moment, you belong to God now. 
you are already accepted and loved by God now unconditionally before you do anything. Folks, that's the good news. What's the good news if I could go up to you, sister, and I'd be like, you know, God's actually out there. He won't bless you until you do such and such and such. That's the God of conditions, folks. But if I could tell a sister that I don't even know, who's probably going through a lot, I could say, he's already here. He'll, he'll help you. He's here. That's what will change her heart. That's what will change her mind. Because that's what repentance is. It's a change of mind. Repentance is not, it's not where we do stuff to try to change God's mind. Repentance is about changing our mind that God was always for you. And I'm seeing this a lot even with, on the internet. It's like they're pre, you know, some people, bless their hearts, are trying to preach the grace message. They're preaching it where it's like the new covenant message. But their new covenant message is still a conditional message. It still changes God. It's as if God was so pissed off at you in the Old Testament, but once Jesus dies on the cross, now he's happy with you. As if Jesus' death changed God's mind. But I'm telling you that from all eternity, Father, Son, and the Spirit were eternally for you. The cross, the, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross didn't change God's mind. It changes your mind that He was willing to lay down His life for you and for me when we didn't even deserve it. There's no such thing that you were separated from God. That's all a lie. If you were to take that to its logical conclusion, folks, imagine if I get mad at some of you guys. I'll be like, you know, you guys are doing some stupid crap, man. You better watch out. God's judgment. You know what I'm saying? God's not going to bless you. God's far from you. Imagine if you take that to its logical conclusion and you start feeling that sense of distance from God. What's that going to make you do? You're going to do a lot of stupid things. Haven't you had that moment, folks, when you're living alone? I've lived alone for a while. You could go crazy. When you feel abandoned, not just by people, not just by family, but imagine where it's almost where you're abandoned by God too. Folks, God will never abandon you. And He never has. In your darkness, God is still there. That's why God in Christ reconciled the world to Himself even at that moment when He said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because God was willing to come down to our level to understand humanity and to understand what it means to feel that aloneness, that, for, that God-forsakenness, so to speak. Because just like you and me, we've all felt that way, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. And more and more people need to acknowledge that. Right? You get what I'm saying, right? Because sometimes we're in the church, right? You won't hear anyone talk about their crap. We have to put on our happy faces. Folks, just be real. If you're hurting... <laughs> God's not going to look bad at you. <laughs> like, how dare you? You know, you're not growing in the faith, my son, you know? <laughs> God is looking at your heart saying, I love you. If you only knew, if you could only see right now the love that I have for you at this very moment, but these lies are blinding you, making you, like, making you feel like you're alone. You're not alone. That even before you were born, the Bible says in Ephesians, even before you were born, God decided that you and me and this entire cosmos would be included in the Father, Son, and the Spirit relationship. I just noticed your breakdancing picture. You have a, you have a tattoo of a paracrete, of a, is it similar, right? I looked at it, right? Okay, for those of you who are against tattoos, I'm sorry, okay? <laughs> no, but, but I was looking at this one time. Because sometimes you could have challenges in your life. You could feel either you're struggling financially or you're feeling alone. And I remember I was just, it's funny, but it's like as if God spoke to me through this little 
symbol. And I was looking at that. This is what we would call the Trinity or the perichoresis life, meaning that we are included in the life of the Father, Son, and the Spirit, where they include you in this dance, this relationship that the Father, Son, and the Spirit have. Now, isn't that beautiful? Instead of it's all about just like, just believe in me and you go to heaven. But he's, in, he's inviting you into this dance to come know this intimacy, this unbroken fellowship that in this circle, in this whole symbol of this Trinitarian life, there is no lack. There is no anxiety. There is no loneliness. But there is pure intimacy between the Father, Son, and the Spirit. And guess what? You're already in. But many people just don't know it yet. So whenever you feel discouraged, or you feel alone, or you're struggling financially, within this perichoresis, within this Trinitarian life where there's no emptiness, but there's always fullness of joy, and there's always abundance. I want you to see yourself in this life, that your life is now hidden in Christ, with Christ in God. You are in Christ. As Christ is, so are we in this world. It's not when you stink and die. As Christ is, so are we in this world. That's good news. <laughs> how, how would this message get people to do a bunch of stupid crap unless they're just totally like not getting it? Hurt people hurt people. Right? When you start to experience your wholeness right now, I'm telling you right now, I'm not trying to, you know, that's the problem with, with, with the church is that we try to tell people that they have to do something in order to become. I'm already telling you who you are. You don't have to do anything to try to become holy. You're already holy. Okay? You don't have to do anything. You don't even have to believe in order to become righteous. You're already righteous. You're already righteous. Oh, that's scary. I didn't even do anything. That's called grace, folks. Right? Like I said earlier, I don't have to do anything to try to get you to become free. You're already free. You don't even have to try to do anything to try to become good. You know why? If you could just realize the goodness that's already within you, it'll just emerge and manifest in your life. Because folks, what I've been taught in the church and from my favorite theologians back in the day, I was taught that I was nothing but a wretched, filthy, unworthy, that there's nothing good in me. We're like, I'm so unworthy. I remember I would be like going to church like at six in the morning because I had this very revival mentality mentality have you heard revival stuff so i'd be crying out one worthy one worthy pour out your spirit you know and i was doing that folks imagine you hear your own child you walk in the room and your child is talking to papa to their heavenly papa saying i'm unworthy i'm filthy i'm dirty i'm nothing but a wretched sinner there's no good in me except christ Folks, how was I going to make you feel as a parent to hear your own child believe that they're unworthy, they're filthy, they're dirty? Now here's the scary part, is that when they start to believe and identify themselves with those things. Why do people tend to do stupid things, folks? It's because of how you view yourself. If you view yourself as filthy and dirty and wretched, there's no good in you, well, guess the way your life's going to look like, folks. And the disgusting thing is that that's the way the church tells you to feel like, as if it's a good thing, to feel, have low self-esteem. 
Like I could just look at Juan or you and say, you guys are amazing. But some people say, no, 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 they're, they're, they're wretched sinners covered by God's grace in His blood. You know, or Martin Luther said, we're snow-covered dung. Really? Is that, is that the way you want to, is that the way you view your wife? You know, you're, you're snow-covered dung, sweetheart. <laughs> how, how wonderful is that going to make you feel? What you believe and what you perceive, you will experience. What you believe and what you perceive, you will experience. It may not necessarily be true, but it will be your reality. And you guys have heard this before, but I'll share it for those who haven't heard this. Like, I, I get cheesy, right, with my wife, okay? I love my wife. The other day, she came into the bed crying, ah, I love you! <laughs> and I, I love her, I love her too. Right? Like, we have this relationship that by, it's really by me understanding God's love that I'm able to finally love my wife. Right? And imagine, folks, for those of you who are married or you have boyfriend or girlfriends or whatever, don't you have those moments where you look at your partner, your spouse, and sometimes you're just chilling. You're not even saying anything. Like that, those two right there, right? They're just, oh, you could feel the connection there, right? You could just feel that connection. You don't even have to say a word, but when you can look into their eyes and you could see their value and their worth. What's even more powerful is that when your spouse can look into your eyes and they could look into your eyes and see their value and their worth in your eyes. Now the question comes down to this. How does God see you now? Are you filthy, wretched, nothing good in you? <laughs> or are you beautiful, whole, righteous, loving, gracious, good, pure? How does God see you now? But the better question is this, do you see what God sees? Do you see what God sees? You are not wretched. You are a child of God. I've had people call me some names that maybe some of you have been called names for your beliefs and they'll call you a heretic, false teacher, you're of the devil, you know. But you know what, in spite of all those criticisms that I've received, God always calls me son. Actually, He'll call me by name. He won't say, son, <laughs> calls me by name. He calls you by name. He doesn't call you by your title. He calls you by name. And He cares about you more than you could ever imagine. That sometimes even I could forget. Right? So I look at this relationship. You know, folks, one of my biggest fears is so silly now, but I, I, I told this to someone the other day. Before I got with my wife, I was very legalistic, okay? Very legalistic. And, but I had good intentions because <laughs> I wanted to try to be the good Christian boy, you know what I'm saying? And one of my biggest fears when I was in Bible school, when I was still single, I was afraid that I would love my future wife more than God. I know it sounds weird. I don't know if maybe some of you have had that mentality because maybe your leaders might be like, do you love your boyfriend more than God? You know, are you putting your boyfriend above ministry? I don't know. Have you guys heard that? Or at least have had that mentality, right? Okay. I'm being dead honest. I thought that way. Okay, now this might sound weird because I was single for around 12 years. You know, and you're like, yeah, Josh, because you're not that good looking. <laughs> yeah, I was single for about 12 years. 
because I just wasn't into the dating scene. I was just like focusing on ministering and stuff. And uh, just didn't meet anyone until my wife. Right? <laughs> but I remember before I met her, I was already getting into grace. So my, my, my views of love was shifting. So I never started to look at her anymore. When I first met her, we got together really fast. And I'm not saying follow what we did. Okay? We got together very fast. But it did, not, it did not even cross my mind whether or not I love her more than God. Now, people will tell you that God is so jealous that you need to be very careful that you don't put your boyfriend or your girlfriend above God, right? And so what religion likes to do is that they like to create this life as like a list. God's first, and then your family, and then your friends, and then maybe ministry, and then your last. Have you guys heard of that list? Yeah. So they, they like putting God at the top of a list. I'm telling you, how do you live your life like that? How can you even tell if God is at the top of your list? If is it because you start reading your Bible more? Is it because you did evangelism and you led 20 people to the Lord this year? How do you, how do you determine that, right? Instead of looking the, at your life as like a list of trying to make God first, imagine it like a circle where God is in the center and that everything you do is loving God. So instead, imagine, or think of it this way, it is impossible to love your spouse or your partner more than God. It's impossible. And some of you might be thinking, well, how did, how did, what do you mean that's impossible? Because you can't love your spouse without God's love. Okay? And if you want to love God, love people. So what I'm encouraging you to do, I'm not talking about the superficial, shallow love, okay? Like, it's just teeny bopper stuff, okay? I'm talking about genuine love, what the Bible describes, okay? Genuine love. When you learn how, when you know what love means, and you learn how to love people, I will tell you, love your spouse, love your wife with all of your heart. Love her with all of your heart. You'll be loving God. Because whatever you do unto others, you'll be doing unto Him. Right? You guys get what I'm saying, right? I'm not saying do stupid crap with your partner. You get what I'm saying, right? <laughs> You know what love means. You don't need a Bible verse to tell you how to love. You already know it in your heart. Because God's love is already there. <laughs> or else that's funny, right? Or else you wouldn't be responsible for anything you do unless you become a Christian first because you get, well, I didn't have juice in my heart, so you can't blame me for anything. I didn't read my Bible, so I didn't know murder's wrong. <laughs> no, you already know because the Spirit of God is already there in your heart. Folks, don't be driven by fear. Don't be driven by fear. It might even take a time where you might even have to put your Bible down for a while because you want to talk to the one who the Bible is written about. Because I know those moments, folks, when I used to wake up, I used to be hardcore, um, they call it quiet time. <laughs> right? I used to wake up like at 6 in the morning because I got class at 7.30 and I would pray and read my Bible. And there's sometimes I'm just like so sleepy doing my devotionals. <laughs> and I'm just waiting for it, the time to go by because I'm like, oh man, because it's my time of devotionals. And I started to do it religiously. Folks, routine can kill. If this is a love life, if this is a relationship that we tell people don't be so routine. Like my wife wouldn't like it if we're always having the same single routine every day or I use the same type of words. Yeah. Or if I talk to my Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father who art in heaven, I'm not against 
that, right? But if you're talking to, it, to God like, like that, where in the sense it's not a relationship, it sounds weird, right? Or I'd even encourage you, open your eyes when you pray. Because it's like me talking to one. Hey, one. <laughs> I just want to thank you, man, for uh, you know, inviting me here. Now, there's, there's, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with closing your eyes. Sometimes you close your eyes because you want to get focused. But sometimes we do it religiously. Okay? And sometimes we pray for our food and it's a memorized prayer. Oh, can you please pray for the food? Father God, I just thank you for this food. Bless the food. Let it give strength and nourishment to my body in Jesus' name. Amen. Right? And you didn't even feel. You didn't even feel it in your heart. Or what's even more funny, and I even saw this recently, I do see this a lot too. Let's just say we're like, we're waiting everybody so we can start and we can eat our food. All right, you guys, let's pray. And so we're waiting for people. Oh no, they're going to be a while. Okay, let's just start and pray. So we start praying. Father God, blah, 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 blah. Amen. And that person comes late. Oh, did you guys pray for the food? Oh, we already prayed. Okay. <laughs> you see that, folks? It's all just tradition. It's all just done out of religiosity. Or I encourage you. I'm not saying don't pray because what does prayer mean? If, if prayer could be not necessarily about a formula, but it could be this conscious awareness that God is with you all the time. That I could, you don't even have to say anything, but there's gratitude into your, for, in your heart. God, thank you that I had something to eat today. Yeah. Or you're chilling with your friend. God, thank you I was able to spend time and watch a movie because we feel guilty. <laughs> Because we don't think those are spiritual things. And I'm telling you, there's no such thing as a separation where, where Christians or people in general, religious people, they create this dichotomy between this is spiritual and this is religious. Reading your Bible is spiritual. Hanging out with your friends is not spiritual. Praying is spiritual. Playing video games or watching a movie is not spiritual. <laughs> the guys are like, yes, yeah, video games. Right? Thank God for the iPhone. I like playing with my iPhone once in a while, okay? Folks, God loves it when you enjoy. He loves it when you enjoy. God will never ask you, do you love basketball more than me, son? <laughs> do you love it? You know why? Because God's not insecure. That's what insecure people do. You get what I'm saying? When you're in a relationship, do you love me more? Do you love me more? Is she prettier? Is he, you know, so-and-so? Right? Okay, I, I, I get that we could be insecure at times, but God's not in insecure. I would even encourage you to change your language in a bit. Okay, I'm really going all out, sorry. Okay, I encourage you to even change your language, not for the sake of just changing it, but just learning not to get caught up in just tradition. There's not, I'm not against saying, praise God. But I notice that some people can't even say thank you when you give them credit for something. Hey Juan, you did a good job today, breakdancing. Praise God! <laughs> all glory, all glory to God. It's not me, it's not me. Well, it sure looked like you. It looked like you, right? You get what I'm saying? I'm not saying don't give credit to God. But why always separate? When I see one, I see God in Him. Right? If I, if I have a, when I have a kid, that would be cool if he's a b-boy, right? I tell my wife, he could choose whatever he wants, but if he was a b-boy, I'd be like, dude, good job, son. And he'll be like, it's all about you, Dad. It's all about you. <laughs> you, you, and, you and Mom made me. I give you all the glory. Nah, dude, I'll be like, I'll be like, dude, you work so hard. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. 
All right, remember Darren Hufford? I'd recommend you guys reading a book called The Misunderstood God. He gave an example like this. Imagine you buy your spouse a beautiful dress, your wife, or your husband. <laughs> you buy your wife a beautiful dress, <laughs> right? <laughs> Bad joke. She goes to a party, and then all the girls are like, oh my gosh, Remy, you look beautiful. And then I go to my wife, I'm like, Remy, tell them who bought it for you. Tell them who bought it for you. Tell them who bought it for you. Is God like that? God's not like that, folks. God will never ask you, do you love me more than your son? Do you love me more than your child? If you could see God, you'll see him everywhere. And I like what C. Baxter Cougar said one time, is that sometimes you'll go to churches and there's this, there's this list. This is the life of the church for the whole week. Prayer meeting, blah, blah, blah. Here's the schedule. That's the life of the church. But I like what Baxter Cougar said. He says, no, that's not the life of the church. What do you like to do? 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 That's the life of the church. Where it's not limited within the building. And God loves it when he sees you enjoy your favorite hobby. If you're playing basketball. You get what I'm saying, folks? That's when you can see God in everything. Even when you're, then why do we pray for our food? Think about it. Who made your food? Who cooked? Who, who, who killed the animals? Sorry for the vegetarians. Right? Who killed the animals, right? <laughs> All right, when I was in the Philippines, and I would see these people spend their time to cook us their native food and their farm. I'm thanking God because God was able to, you know, have their, His love flowing through someone's heart to be willing to take the time to make food for us. I could see God in everything. Yes. Do you see what God sees? Do you see what God sees? Do you see what God sees? Right? Is that a Christmas song? No, I don't know. It just goes in my head, right? Folks, I didn't even know what I'm sharing. I didn't plan to share a lot of this. I'm just talking from my heart because I know some of us have been burned by religion. Some of us have been burned by the church. And if you could just separate religion from God and see that they're not the same thing, and at the same time, I encourage you to not go on a rebellious streak and be, I'm anti-church, I'm anti-anything you know, anything spiritual. I've seen that, folks. Or there have been people who have become atheists because they've been burned by the church, yeah. right? Yeah. They got pissed off or, you know, people were talking trash behind their back. How can you Christians do that? And what they've done, and many times, you know, they'll, they'll, they just make fun of Christians, folks. I'm not even encouraging you guys to bash that. All I'm telling you guys is that just to be honest with yourself, wherever you're at, and to know that you might have to let go of a lot of tradition, that in fact, maybe 90% of what we believe and what we do is based on tradition. Because if you've seen our ministry, what we've done, we've challenged some of the most fundamental teachings that we believed in the church. I'm not saying they're fundamental in the sense that the early church didn't believe it, but I'm challenging a lot of the doctrines that America, American Christianity teaches. Because I could almost guarantee you, I could guarantee you, folks, that if you do your homework and you do research of the early church, it looks very different from the Western Christianity today. Even the teachings, even the doctrines, even the afterlife looks very different than the Turner burn message and the hell that we've created here that's based more on Dante's Inferno. You guys heard of that before? With those weird, crazy, sickening images. 
But that's the thing, we were not told to think. We were taught to think for you. <laughs> and I'm telling you, you can think for yourself. And don't compromise what you believe, no matter what. Because even Jesus lost many of his friends. Because you know, it's like in the Philippines, it's like it's very Roman Catholic, very conservative. And so when it's like when you transition to what we call Protestantism in the Philippines, you still have a lot of tradition that you still didn't question. It's just you just don't call it Mother Mary anymore. You call it devotionals and it becomes your religion. You know what I'm saying? You may not do the rosary, but then you have to do your quiet time, but it gets done religiously. And so many churches in the Philippines, they don't like me. And it's okay. Because I understand where they're coming from. And many of them are trying to protect them from me. But I've been so blessed by many of the people in the Philippines who have come out to meet me and say, I've heard a lot of bad stuff about you, but I wanted to see if it's true. And they said, yeah, it's true. <laughs> and a lot of them ended up becoming some of my closest friends. Because they heard the bad things and they didn't just base it upon what they've heard. Folks, people might start talking trash about you. There's one guy from my, from my seminary. He wanted to meet up with me, I think, a month ago. And I'm not even close to this person, but I've seen him all these years when I used to preach at my school. He was there. And all of a sudden, he said, Josh, when I went to the army, I started understanding grace for the first time when he was in the army. Then when he came back to America, he wanted to tell everybody at the Bible school about grace. Then you know what they started to say to him? We can't hang out with you anymore with some of your beliefs. And then this guy was like, Josh, I see what you're saying now. I see what you're experiencing now. Because I was just trying to help these people. But they were just so close-minded, folks. I'm telling you folks, you have nothing to be afraid of. And there's a huge shift that's happening now in our generation, I think more than ever before, of people, especially because of the, thank God for the internet, where you're able to do your own homework. You can look up stuff online. You can read stuff for yourself where you don't have to just trust the theologians when these theologians can't even agree with each other either. <laughs> folks, we have 30,000 plus, 30,000 plus denominations and sects, groups that are all claiming to be Christian and all preaching from the same book. And some of them are even saying, we're the same group and you're not judging other Christians. Like I said, folks, when you believe in an exclusive God, you become very exclusive too. Okay. Are you guys okay with me? You're not pissed off or like, dude, get this guy off the stage, right? Okay. I want to challenge the way that you can see other people that are from other religions. Okay. Now, how many of you have people, friends, that are from a different religion? Okay. Almost all of us. How many of you have a friend from another religion that's even a very close friend? Okay. Some of us. Now, isn't it interesting for some people it's easy to condemn someone from another religion saying, yeah, they're good people, but they're going to go to hell, you know, blah, blah, blah. But then when they become your best friend, you start to reconsider, especially when they're good people, especially when they might even have better lives than you, <laughs> right? And this is where we need to take it to its logical conclusion that God is inside everybody. Jesus Christ was not the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the Christians. He was not the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of those who repent and believe just right. 
He was the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. Whether you realize it or not, that's why it's called the finished work of Christ, folks. He didn't say, it is finished. Wait until you believe and then it's going to work. He said, it's done. It's finished. Believe the good news. The gospel begins with union, folks, not separation. That's the beauty of the gospel to tell you that you are now one in God. That God is in you and you are in Him. That's the good news, folks. Instead of creating, as some of us might have seen this before, and I've seen this in evangelism, especially when I used to go to a, a secular school, okay, whatever that means, I see people in these organizations giving us these tracts. And these tracts give us this image that might have us, some of us have probably seen. You'll see this image of you're here and you're a filthy, wretched sinner, and God is over here because He's holy. He's separated from you because of your sin and because of that there's this huge chasm where God's here you're here and there's this huge chasm but because he loves you he sent his son and there's that cross you guys know that image you guys seen that in maybe some of your pamphlets but here's the thing it sounds really nice but the problem is God's still here and you're still here but here's what you have to do you have to take these steps acknowledge and you confess, and then you repent, and you believe. Now you're with God. Folks, that is not the good news. That is pagan thinking. That is more Greek. We call this dualism. That has creeped into Western Christianity, where we always have to have a polar opposite between good, bad, heaven, hell, light, darkness. You guys get what I'm saying? This is called dualism, right? And they created this dualism where because God's so holy, He can't look at you because you're filthy and rotten and dirty. He's a sinner. He can't even look at you because of your sin. You guys heard that before? Yep. God doesn't look at you when you're sinning. Well, how could He judge something that He can't see? <laughs> <laughs> and, and if He can't look upon sin because He's so holy, some of us have a lot of bad thoughts almost uh, many hours of the day. Does that mean He just stops looking at you every time He turns away, turns away? Because even though if you're not doing certain actions, you have bad thoughts. Does, it, does he look away? I mean, just practically, how does that even work? Folks, when the Bible says that he's too holy to look upon sin, that's a bad translation. In Habakkuk, it says he does not approve sin. He does not approve the evil. And another translation says, you do not look upon evil, so why do you? It's almost like a contradiction, right? So Habakkuk was complaining to God about that. Folks, there's no such thing as you being separated from God. That's a lie. When you look in the book of Isaiah where it says that your sins have separated from your God, it's not a literal separation. It's not this dualistic thinking where God's here and you're here. Let me ask you this. Can you be in a place where God is not? So how can God be here and then you're here? The Bible even says, even in the depths, you are there. If there is a hell, that's eternal. If there is a hell, then God must be there too. Because nothing can exist apart from God. If God is omnipresent, that we like to believe traditionally, God is everywhere. Even in the midst of when you're doing stupid things. Not that he condones it, you get what I'm saying? Everywhere is not where God is. Everywhere is what God is. He's everywhere. Right? 
And so when the Bible does talk about a real separation, it's talking about a separation between your ears. Meaning that the only separation is up here in your mind. That's what Colossians says. You have been separated or alienated in your minds. Wow. If only I heard that more at church. That it was all a lie. Don't you have that moments, folks, when you do some stupid crap, you feel bad? And then you feel like God's far. <laughs> and then you feel like God... I remember back in the day, dude, when I used to do some stupid stuff, I wouldn't even talk to God the rest of the day because <laughs> I was so embarrassed. <laughs> I would wait till the next morning and sleep it off. <laughs> you, get, you get what I'm saying, right? <laughs> We're all guilty of that, right? You sleep it off because you feel like crap. And I'm telling you, those times, God never removed Himself from you. He was always there. It's all in your mind. It's all lies. Amen to that. I'm telling you, if you could just become more aware. There are times where I'll just tell people, because people will worry a lot. I'll just tell people, just chill. I told my friend the other day, when I was at uh, visiting the seminary, I said, because he worries a lot, I said, just, just look at this world and stop judging, because we tend to judge. So just, just stop what you're doing. So if you're driving, just stop in the middle of the freeway. <laughs> I was joking. <laughs> I was joking. Just stop what you're doing. In the sense that when you look around, stop assigning labels of like, she's bad, he's ugly, she's poor. This world sucks. You know how we tend to judge everything? <clears throat> Stop doing that for a moment. And all of a sudden when you're just still, and then you're silent, like now, you can start hear the noise. You can eventually hear the kids playing outside or the cars driving by. Then all of a sudden you start living in the very moment. And many Christians don't know how to live in the moment because they're always worrying about the future. How am I going to pay rent? Or they're thinking about their past. Oh man, I screwed up pretty bad. But if you can learn to live in this moment to the fullest, without assigning judgments and labels, like imagine you're tired of life and you want to figure out what do you want to do as a career and you're changing your baby's diapers. Let me break it down for you like this. There are two purposes. Eckhart Tolle said this before. Eckhart Tolle said that the two purposes that we have is a primary purpose, which is internal, and a secondary purpose, which is external. If I ask you, what's your purpose in life? My purpose in life is to be a rapper, or to be a basketball player, or to be a singer, or to be a teacher, or a doctor. That's not your primary purpose. That's your secondary purpose. Do you know why? Because that secondary purpose can change. One day you want to be a doctor, then another day you want to be a teacher, or whatever, right? So there's nothing wrong with that. But your, but your uh, primary purpose is your internal purpose, that the only thing that exists is this very moment. Tomorrow doesn't even exist yet. The past is no more. So if you're changing your diapers, if you're changing your diapers, <laughs> if you're changing your baby's diapers and your diapers, which is questionable while you're doing that, <laughs> if you're changing your baby's diapers and you're thinking about how am I going to pay rent or what am I going to be when I grow up, if you want to live in the moment, your primary purpose is to change your baby's diapers. Yeah. That's it. If you're having dinner with your wife or your spouse and you're worried about the future, 
or you're worried about ministry or you're worried about other stuff, your primary purpose is to live in the moment with your wife. You see that, folks. It's about living in this present reality that when you could be still, you'll see how you're connected with everything. Don't be afraid of my language if it sounds a new age. It's true. Even scientifically, folks, we're connected to everything. That's why when you see a brother hurt, you can hurt. When someone rejoices, you rejoice with them. You could feel it even if you don't even know it. If you don't even know them. And I'm telling you, if you could just be still, be silent, get rid of all the noise, now all of a sudden you start hearing everything. Even the silence underneath that noise. All of a sudden your worries go away. Folks, the Bible even says don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Live for today. Don't worry about stinking tomorrow. It's already taken care of. You're worth more than the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. Folks, we lived in the Philippines. I lived there for four years, her three. All we did was just ministry. God took care of us. Could you imagine that? I even, I, it blows my mind how we were able to live in the Philippines without work. And we were just doing what we were doing. God reminds me and you that the economy will not determine your financial situation. Because there there's a greater economy. <laughs> there's a greater kingdom. Okay? And I'm telling you, in this life, because God is so good, your life is a life of abundance and fullness and there's no lack. But what we need to do is to be aware of that. Right? Because it's so easy to point out all the negative. I don't have this, I don't have that. Yesterday my wife was eating. I took her out to dinner and she was so quiet. I'm like, why aren't you saying anything? She's like, I'm enjoying my food. <laughs> and I learned, I learned how to eat slowly because of my wife. Because for me, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like I, I got it from my dad, you know. And I, I guess I could still enjoy my food when I eat fast. But you know, there's something when you just learn to just slow down and just enjoy. There are times where, where you could take your, 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 your spouse or your friend for granted. That's why it's good to just stop. Imagine you just have two friends and everyone kind of abandoned you. You could just stop and be like, dude, imagine if I had no friends, but these two have stuck with me. Or how you're telling me yeah, you have a group of friends here. They stuck with you. Imagine if everybody abandoned you, but yet you have a bunch of friends that you could thank God for and just be still and be like, dude, God, thank you. Or if you just have one friend, you get what I'm saying? There's always something to be thankful for. Always. If everything that happened to Jesus happened to us, humanity, not just the Christians, then that means that when Jesus died, what happened to all of humanity? We died. When Jesus resurrected from the dead, what happened to all of humanity? All of humanity resurrected from the dead. When Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, what happened to all of humanity? We ascended with Him, whether you realize it or not. Do you see that, folks? But I've been taught that when you believe, then you died in Christ, and then you've risen with Him. You've been, you're a new creation. I'm telling you, folks, you were born again 2,000 years ago in Christ. So some people will get you know, upset and be like, no, 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 Josh, I remember I went to a church gathering, 
And I remember I asked Jesus into my heart and I became born again at that time. I'm not denying those experiences, folks. But that understanding is pagan. Because you were born again 2,000 years ago in Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says this. God caused us. Caused. He caused us in His great mercy to be born again through the resurrection. It wasn't when you believe, folks. You do not become a child of God when you believe. I want you to think about how silly that sounds because I, was, I even see people debating about that on Facebook. You're not a child of God until you believe. And they're quoting it with an exclusive mindset. Let me give you an example. Now there's a young girl here in the front. But I want you to imagine, right? They'll say, honey, you're not God's child yet until you believe. Now would you tell that to your child, folks? If you had a kid, you say, what if, what if your child's like, oh, how's my heavenly papa? Well, you didn't believe in him yet, so you, you, know, you, you want to get so technical. But some people will say, well, Josh, babies are okay, because you know, when they die, they'll go to heaven because they haven't reached, reached the age of accountability. You guys heard of that terminology, right? So if that's the case, does that mean that right now, she's a child of God because she's innocent, and God is her papa, her heavenly father, she, he's not just the creator, but he's actually the papa, and you're actually the child and not just the creation. So does that mean that up to that point of age of accountability, she's a child of God, but once she reaches that age of accountability, she undoes her sonship or daughtership, whatever you want to call it, and then she has to believe and accept and repent and confess, and then she becomes a child of God again. Or did you always belong to God? You've always belonged to God. Always. You see that, folks, of how we're, we're creating these theologies. Do you, as Baxter Kruger said, do you think that your faith can change the nature of God? What do I mean? Some people think that there's these two columns. That, bro, when you're not a Christian, you're here in this column, you're just God's creation. God's not your father, he's your judge. And he's just your creator. But when you believe, all of a sudden you move over to this column and he's your father, you're his child. So all of a sudden, he's just your judge and your creator that when you believe and have faith, he becomes the father? Isn't he eternally the father God? As if your faith changed him from one judge to a father. Or you changed him from being pissed off at you at your sin. Now he loves you because he looks at you because of Jesus is covering you. And some people have this very skewed and distorted view of even Jesus Christ dying on the cross for your sin where they think, oh, you're covered in Jesus' blood. But deep down, if I look behind Jesus, you're filthy. <laughs> Folks, I'm telling you, you are a new creation. That when God sees you, He sees love in you. He sees His precious child. It's not like you're this filthy sinner, but Jesus is covering you. But when you look behind Jesus, oh man, that's disgusting. Look at you and your sin. Jesus is not this covering, folks. Jesus gave you new life. That when He died, you died. When He resurrected, he, you resurrected. When He ascended, you ascended. Folks, you can't convert anybody. Good luck. You can't. Christ converted everybody 2,000 years ago. That's not your job. And you're going to get stinking tired. Especially when usually we're driven by guilt. <laughs> you know, did you share it with someone today? No. Oh, okay. You just do it for the sake of you got to do it because you feel bad. Right? Acts chapter 17 says this. Paul was dealing with the philosophers. Right? Then he says, in him we live, we move, we have our being. In him we live, we move, we have our being. Who is he saying that to? 
He did not say that to Christians, folks. He said that to pagans. And then he says, aren't we all his offspring, his children? If God was only in Christians, folks, God would be very small. Okay? And doesn't the Bible say that whatever you do unto others, when did we feed you? When did we clothe you? When did we give you something to drink? And Jesus says, oh, whatever you've done to them, you've done unto me. So what does that mean? Does that mean that's only when you do those good things to Christians? Or did he mean that you do that to anybody? You could go to a homeless guy down the street that's not a Christian and you did that unto the Lord because God's already in him. Amen. Do you see that, folks? The shift that we need to have to see God in everybody. <laughs> this is what I'm trying to get people to see because I, I, I'm just so tired of this, of people just, we're saved, they're not, we're, they're the damned ones. Yeah, they're good people. I know I'm, I, I'm a pretty screwed up Christian, but I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. But them, you know, I know they're good, but nah, they're going to hell still. Folks, there's a wonderful story of uh, uh, Tony Campolo where he shared about his, his Baptist missionary friend that goes to China. He goes to China and he meets this Buddhist monk, right? So this Baptist missionary friend opens up his Bible, shares to him the ways of Jesus, telling him about the Lord. And as he's sharing, this Buddhist monk just starts weeping and weeping and weeping and weeping. So the Baptist missionary guy says, so do you want to accept Christ as your Savior now? And you know what the Buddhist monk said? Accept him as my Savior. I already know this Jesus. You just told me his name. And you told me about his death and you told me about his resurrection. And as you were speaking, I could hear his spirit within me saying, he's speaking about me, he's speaking about me, he's speaking about me. Folks, God is alive and well and in many places and in many people that we can't even imagine. That you can look at a Buddhist who's so full of love and you can see God in them now. But we think that God is only inside of us. As if God is that small. How could He only be inside of us when the Bible says in Colossians that in Him all things are held together. Everything consists in God. So how can God be away from that Buddhist, from that Hindu, from that Muslim? My wife grew up in a Muslim country her whole life. So she had a bunch of Indian, Muslim friends, you know. It's like, that's the thing. When you have close friends from a different religion, it starts to get you to rethink. Because then it's your closest friends. See what I'm saying? But if you're willing to go to that extent, I really want people to see, are you really being honest with yourself of what you're feeling inside, or are you just being driven by a theology that you've been taught? And what I'm doing today, is that all I'm doing is that I'm just reminding you. I'm not smarter than any of you folks. I'm just reminding you of what you already know. When I talk about unconditional love, you could feel that. Because it resonates with you, right? But the problem is we've just forgotten We've forgotten, and many people have taken us down this trail of lies where it's hard to see God now. Or we only see God in our closest friends or in our denomination. When God is much bigger than that, folks. Now, I know this might screw you up a little bit, okay? If you believe in an eternal hell, which we could talk about later if you'd like, if you believe in an eternal hell, let me say this slowly, eternal hell, conscious torment if you believe in that and that if you don't become a Christian like you you, should, you guys should be outside right now 
24-7, preaching the gospel, knowing that, man, the person down the street could get hit by a car and they'll be in hell forever. It's either we're too stinking lazy <laughs> or practically we don't really believe it. We don't really live it out. You see, folks, what, what do you really believe? What do you really believe or were you just told to believe this because this is what a Christian is supposed to believe. And it's funny when Christians can't even agree with each other. So that's all that I'm asking you to do. So after today, I'm not asking you to, hey guys, believe everything that is... I'm here to challenge. Get you just a question. Like I said, if this doesn't make sense to you, throw it out. But once again, you could say, well, Josh, let's base it upon your, the Word. Yeah, but let's not base it upon your interpretation of the Bible. <laughs> okay? That's a whole other issue. So it gets complicated. That's what religion has done. And as I was talking earlier with this sister here, the, the older you get, the, the more you start to understand the heart of God, the simpler the message gets. It just comes down to love. That's it. 